0: Christ Community Church, located at 25th and Thomas Avenue in Portsmouth, Ohio. Christ Community meets on Saturday at 5 p.m. and Sunday at 10:30 a.m. For more information, visit www.christcommunity.net or check out our Facebook page. All right. Hey Anthony, would you care to get me a drink? I'm really sorry about that. I usually will bring me one, but I didn't. I just like the the sound of authority where you can say, hey, would you go get me a drink? <laughs> Thank you. Um, everybody doing good? I hope so. I, I hope you are. Um, it sounds to me like here in the next uh, few hours, we're going to be heading into some mighty cold weather for just a little bit, but that's okay. That's Southern Ohio, we get to experience everything here, absolutely Everything. Uh, a couple of things. I'll, I'll run your direction. First of all, I want to let you know about the Bible studies that we've started. It just started this past week. We have the men's Bible study that meets on Saturday mornings here at the church building, and then we have the women's Bible studies that meets on Thursdays, both in the morning or the evening, whichever your schedule, uh, whichever schedule works for you. And so, I, I hope you'll get plugged into one of the Bible studies. If you don't, if if that doesn't fit into your schedule. I hope you'll take the time to look in your community to see if there's a Bible study, a growth group going on in your community, and get plugged into that growth group. Small group fellowships that take place in homes throughout the county. And, and so I believe we have seven of them going right now where you can find and get plugged into. They meet at various days of the week, various times. And so I invite you to do that as well. Uh, the second thing I'll let you know, on the last Sunday of this month, which is January 31st, on January the 31st, Matt is going to be starting his free seminary on sun- Sunday mornings at 9 a.m. I'm going to tell you this six-week series that he's going to be teaching is going to be very interesting, very good. It's, the title of it is, Why I'm a Christian and Not a... Dot Dot Dot." And what he's going to be doing is he's going to be dealing with subjects like the first one on the 31st will be why I'm a Christian and not a Muslim, why I'm a Christian and not a Mormon, why I'm a Christian and not a Jehovah's Witness. He's going to go through a number of of the religions, the world religions, and he's going to be doing a comparative study of Christianity and, okay? Why I'm a Christian and not a dot, 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 okay? Okay. So if you want to get plugged into that, in order for us to be prepared with any materials that he'll be uh, passing out, at the end of the ramp, there's a little table there right at the bottom of the ramp, and there's a sign that says Free Seminary. Just swing by there and sign up. Uh, Get your name on the list and and, uh, your contact information. I think you will be really, really glad you attended that. All of his free seminaries have just been pretty remarkable, actually, and and so I I invite you to get on board with that as well. Uh, You can come in, get a donut, get a cup of coffee, head back to the chapel, spill your coffee, get crumbs everywhere, and still have a good time, okay? That's what we're doing. Um, One other thing I'll do before I get into this. As you know, uh, oh, thank you. Thank you so much, buddy. Good, I need this. As you know, on December thirty-first, I got married, and um, and wait, and and I'm telling you what, I'm happy, I I I am, and and I'm a blessed blessed man, and I know it, and I just want you, if if you haven't met Cindy or seen Cindy, I want to introduce her to you, okay? And that's that's all. She's gonna preach actually today. No, (laughs) I'm kidding. Yeah. Yeah. We have to go into the light, into the light. That's right. And this, this is, this is my wife, Cindy. And uh, I, I can tell you, I don't know that I have the words to say what a blessing she is to my life. She is. And um, she's walked through a lot with me. And Still walking. That's good. What a blessing! And I hope I'm that kind of blessing to her too. So, okay. You too. All right. Here we go. We're doing our series where you were asked to put down questions that you might have for God if you could ask Him anything. Ask Him anything. And we, we had a really good response, and as a matter of fact, we've had such a good response that I believe what we're going to do is in June, we're going to pick up that series again, okay? As a matter of fact, since we're going to pick it up again, I, I want to invite you, if, if at any time you have a question you would like to submit, I would invite you to submit it, and then we compile all of those, and it's interesting how a lot of you have the same question. That's, uh, and so today, we're going to be dealing with, is abortion ever okay? Is abortion ever okay? And some of the questions that came in with this topic dealt with were questions like, wouldn't it be better for a child to never come into the world than to come into the world and be in an abusive situation? Wouldn't it be better if the abortion would go ahead and take place rather than an unwanted child come on the scene? Those kinds of questions. And so all of that comes under the heading, is abortion ever okay? Is it ever okay? And so we're going to dig into this topic, but before we do... I need to establish something, and and you need to take your bulletins because what I'm about to establish with you is the most important thing on any subject, anywhere, at any time, okay? And if you don't have this, if you don't have this down then you're going to really struggle in determining what is okay and what isn't okay, what is right, what is wrong, what is true, what is false. You won't be able to determine it without getting this fixed in your head. So it's really important and and again, t- this morning right now in this part of the teaching, I'm dealing with followers of Jesus. I want to talk t- I'm talking to Christian people. How do we determine what's right and what's wrong? So the big question that you have in your, in your bulletin there, which is your authority, scripture or culture? Because you see, what I'm going to do this morning, in essence, is I'm going to set before you two views of truth. And you get to decide which view of truth you're going to follow, who you're going to follow, who is going to be your source for what's true and right. I was teaching a Bible study at New Beginnings. I do that every Wednesday morning, and I love that group. Absolutely love teaching them, 8 o'clock to 9 o'clock every Wednesday morning. And, and a question came up as I was reading a scripture about homosexuality. We've dealt with that already uh, recently, so I, I'm not going there. But the question was asked, uh, well, wait a second. Uh, is, if, if someone is, is born that way, then isn't that okay? And they wanted a study on homosexuality. And rather than create a hostile environment, what I did, and I think this is the way we should approach this anyway, is I set before them that next week because it was too broad of a subject just to hit right there and answer that question. I wanted to give the entire hour to it. I just drew on the board, I went to one side and I wrote Scripture. And I went to the other side and I wrote Culture. And I wrote down, looking at Scripture, all the things Scripture says about that. And then I went to all the cultural arguments about that. And then I simply looked at them and said, now you know what? You get to decide. You get to decide what your source of truth is. Is it going to be scripture or is it going to be culture? That's your decision. And I'm going to tell you, here's what you're going to land on. If you land on culture, then your truth is going to be constantly shifting. If you land on scripture, your truth is going to be firm. May not be easy, may not be comfortable, may rub you the wrong way, but it's firm. Never changing because God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And his word stands forever, even though culture fights against it. Do you understand what I'm saying? Okay, that's so important that we have that. My mom missed this. See, my mom and my my dad, they raised me in a Christian home. Things according to the scripture were black and white. There's what's true. There's what's false. There's what's godly. There's what's ungodly. There's what's sin. There's what's uh, there's what's behavior that honors God. It's black and white. When my father passed away my mom spent most of her day sitting in a chair watching TV. And at that time on TV, and as many of you will remember this, you young ones will go, dude, I don't even know who this guy is, but that's how old we're getting. Uh, But there was a guy on TV named Phil Donahue. And yes, hear the moans. Oh, geez. Uh, and, And Phil Donahue Started, started a show which really took off like wildfire because here's what he did. And he did it, you got to admit, he was extremely gifted at this. Anytime anyone would answer or deal with a situation in a way where things were absolute, this is absolutely true, it doesn't change, he would always challenge it. He would always challenge it, and whenever anyone would try to say, but wait, the Bible says, he would always challenge the Bible. Now, he started doing that. And basically, what you end up with in that kind of thinking is, well, your truth is okay for you, but it may not be the same truth for this person. Now, when it comes to issues of the Scripture, that's kind of a dangerous place to be. And what I saw was my mom coming to the place, getting to the place where she no longer held to solid, absolute truths, but she held to, well, you know, Rick, I, I disagree with that, but if someone else, if that's their truth, that's okay for them. And Scripture would say, no, that's, that's not. That's not the way it is. Because if you look at Scripture when it comes to the issue of life, here's what you're going to walk away with, and we'll look at this in just a minute. You're going to walk away with that life is God-given and life is sacred. See, if anybody ever brings up the subject to you, what do you think about abortion? Well, here's your, here's your question you ask them. Is life sacred or isn't it? And their answer to that is going to, deter, is going to tell you everything about where they are. Is human life sacred or isn't it? The Scripture is going to tell you, you see, again, you'll see in a minute, life is sacred. Okay, it's sacred. It's God-given. Culture, on the other hand, is going to tell you that life depends on... I'm just going to throw one of the arguments out. There are multiple here culturally. I'll just throw one out. Life depends on viability. I'm going to tell you what. This is... And it's a dangerous argument. Viability means the capacity to function outside of the womb on your own. Okay? Now, here's... Here's the trouble with that kind of mentality. At what point does a little baby, even a baby being born, brought out of the mother's womb, at what point is that baby viable? That baby is totally dependent. The baby is not independent, totally dependent. At what point can, can we look at that baby and just say, Well, now you're a human because you can function on your own. I mean, how old will they be when that happens? Some of us have had teenagers that wouldn't be viable. You know? Uh, So so it's a, it's a dangerous argument and it's a dangerous argument on the other end because if life is when when you are viable what happens when your body shuts down as you age and then you find yourself once again maybe in a nursing facility or in long term care in your home being cared for because you are no longer viable i mean there's a lot of danger with that kind of argument but i'm simply telling you that's one of the cultural arguments So you have to determine what's going to be my source of truth. Is it going to be scripture or culture? And until you do that, you can't really come to solid terms on where you stand on a number of things, in particular today's topic on abortion. So I'm going to start with a biblical perspective. Here we go. First thing I want you to write down in your outlines, a biblical perspective. Human life is different from all other life. It's different from all other life. Look at Genesis 1, 26. Then God said, Let us make man in our image, in our likeness, and let them rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air, over the livestock, over all the earth, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. Human life is different from all other life. By the way, I remember, I didn't share this last night, but it just, just hit me um, when, when Bill Clinton was running for office way back when, that's when you know you're old. You're talking about presidents and you go way back when and you were alive with them. Um, he came through this area and he went up to Chillicothe and he was at a Chillicothe high school and, and he had like a town hall meeting and it was on the radio and I was listening to it on the radio and a student stood up and a student wasn't being belligerent. A student was wanting to know his stand on life and so he he stood at the microphone and he asked, so when does life begin? What is your stance on abortion? He just asked that question. Initially, when that question was asked, some of you may remember this, when that question was asked, Bill Clinton was very dismissive. Uh, He kind of put the kid down and then the kid just stood there at the mic. He didn't walk away from the mic, but he remained there, continued to look at the the president-elect and as he was looking at him, the president, or the, at the time, candidate, Bill Clinton, uh, then responded. And he, he, he understood, okay, the real question is, when does life begin? This is how he says. And I go, okay, that's good. He said, I believe that life begins when a soul enters the body. And he said, so we don't know when a soul enters the body. Does it enter the body in the first trimester, second trimester, third trimester? Does it enter the body right when the baby is born? When does does the soul enter? And he said, since we can't determine when the soul enters, now this is his logic, then how can we deny people access if by chance this is just tissue and not a child? And I'm going, seriously? You just said that? I'm thinking, if you don't know when it starts, then why would you even think or presume that there's a point where this this baby in the womb is not a baby? At what point would you even think that? It seems to me you're risking quite a bit by saying it's okay to do that. But you see that God, according to Genesis 1.26, you see that human life, when God is creating, He's creating creating something completely different from all other life. Completely different. As a matter of fact, He created us in His likeness and in His image. You need to write that down in your your sermon, sermon notes. Humans are made in the image of God. Humans are made in God's likeness. We have been patterned after God. The word image and likeness mean this. It means to take a pattern and to make something exactly like it. My father-in-law worked for uh, um, U.S. Shoe, and he was a pattern designer for all kinds of shoes. And he would make, he would make patterns for, for the shoes. And when he made these patterns, then after he made them, then then the factory would just produce them left and right. God is our pattern. We are made in his image. We are made in his likeness. That's that's who we are in his image and his likeness. And unlike the rest of creation, this is important that you put this down in your notes, unlike the rest of creation, humans have the capacity to house God. God. Humans have a capacity that animals do not have. Humans have a capacity that fish don't have. Humans have a capacity that birds don't have. Humans have a capacity that nothing else in all creation has. The capacity to house God. Look at this passage in Genesis chapter 2 verse 7. The Lord formed God the Lord God formed the man From the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living being. Now, I want you to catch this. Let me grab a drink here, and then I want you to catch something. This is a great picture. This picture of God forming man. I'm not being blasphemous when I say this, and I hope you grab this. God did not create man. God made man. Now, this is important. And in him making man, he expresses the greatest love imaginable. I want you to catch this. He looks into the darkness when it's time to create and he says, Let there be light. Boom, there was light. Just spoke it right into existence. Let there be stars. Boom, there's stars. Let there be planets, boom, there's planets. Let there be waters on the earth, boom, there's waters. Let there be land that divides the waters, boom, there's land that divides the waters. Let there be fish teeming in the sea, boom, there's fish all over the sea. Dan and Dan Stevenson's really happy for that. And all you other fishermen, there's fish everywhere. Uh, Let there, boom, let there be uh, birds in the sky. Boom, there's birds flying in the sky, and all the hunters are going, yes. And God is just speaking all of this creation into existence. Let there be trees. Let there be plants. Let there be fruit-bearing plants and fruit-bearing trees. Boom, boom, boom. God's just let there being left and right. He's just speaking and speaking and speaking. But when it comes to man, he does something completely different. He doesn't create, which means to bring something into existence that didn't exist before. But he makes, which means to take something that already exists and make it into something else. And I want you to picture this. Now, this is Rick Clark's sanctified imagination because it's not in the Scripture. But this is how I see this loving God doing this. This is why I'm going. This is why he made us instead of creating us. He could have just said, man be, boom, there'd have been some dude walking around. Woman be, there'd be a woman walking around. He could have done that, but he didn't. The scripture says that he formed man out of the dust of the earth. Think about this. Picture God getting down on his knees and making a little mud and taking dirt and forming it and fashioning it taking the time he could have spoke it into existence but he took the time to form this fashion of a man and there laying on the ground is this lump of dirt and then he takes the time to do what we know as artificial resuscitation and he breathes into this man into this dirt he breathes his breath into the nostrils of this dirt. And this dirt got up and started walking around. Now listen. We have a God who is intimately associated with us because he took time with us. And I'm telling you, in the same way that I, I see him taking time in forming Adam, in the same way that I see him taking the time to form Eve from the rib of Adam... In that same way, he spends nine months forming a baby in the womb of the mother. He's doing the same thing. He's doing what he did at creation. He he is making another in his likeness and image patterned after him. That's how cool God is. I mean, I don't know about you. When I think of stuff like that, it just it blows me away. I mean, I, all, all I can do is just go, God, I, I am nobody. And yet you took the time to fashion me. You took the time to make me. You took the time on me while I was in my mother's womb. Okay. Second thing I want you to see under a biblical perspective is this. God protects human life as no other. He protects human life as no other. Not like he protects animal life, not like he protects uh, fish or birds or plant life or any of that. I'm sorry for the tree huggers here. Um, But he protects human life more than any other. Okay? And look at this. Uh, let's, Let's go to Genesis 9 verses 5 and 6. And for your lifeblood, I will demand an accounting. I'll demand an accounting from every animal. That means every animal that would kill a a human. And from each man too, I will demand an accounting for the life of his fellow man. Verse 6. Whoever sheds the blood of man, by man shall his blood be shed. For For in the image of God has God made man. Okay, so God is so serious about protecting the life He has created that the punishment, the punishment for you taking someone's life would be that your life will be demanded by God. That is His judgment on you. That is how great and how precious He views life. Why does He view it that way? Look at Psalm chapter 8. And I'm going to read, read all of chapter 8. It's just a brief psalm, but I want you to check this out. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You have set your glory above the heavens. From the lips of children and infants, you have ordained praise because of your enemies to silence the foe of the avenger and the avenger. When I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have set in place... What is man that you are mindful of him? The son of man that you care for him. You made him, now, now I want you to catch this. You made him a little lower than the heavenly beings and crowned him with glory and honor. This word heavenly beings here in the Hebrew, literally it reads, you have made him a little lower than God, which would read, you have," in, in speaking to God, you have made man a little lower than yourself, He's in your image, but he's a little lower than yourself, and you've crowned him with glory and honor. You made him ruler over the works of your hands. You put everything under his feet. All flocks and herds and the beasts of the field. The birds of the air and the fish of the sea. All that swim the paths of the seas. Oh Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. See, David, when he's writing, he's just he's blown away by the magnificence, magnificence of God. You are so majestic, God, that you would, that you would do that. So majestic. And then if you, you look at Psalm 22, verses 9 and 10. <clears throat> Yet you brought me out of the womb... You made me trust in you even at my mother's breast. From birth I was cast upon you. From my mother's womb you have been my God. You see, David, and you're going to see him do this again, he is aware that this whole thing about being born, this whole thing about a baby in in the womb of the mother, is a God thing. And every time he considers it, he just erupts in praise. As a matter of fact, um, when I was at the end of my freshman year of college, uh, excuse me, at the end of my sophomore year of college, I went to summer school at, at Virginia Beach to pick up a year of biology. And so uh, there I sat in a summer class with nine other students. And, and we were going through, we were now at the place where we were, we were doing um, reproduction And the teacher had... Or the professor had a film. We didn't have VCRs. We didn't have stuff like that. We had a film. And so she put the film strip on. And we watched this... I don't know. 12-minute little film of the reproduction process from the point where the sperm meets the egg. And I'm trying to remember. I I forgot to ask someone this morning. And there are certainly people here I could have asked. uh, But I think... When, it's cell, when se- the cells begin to divide, once the sperm meets the egg, uh, s- the cells begin to divide, and that division process is called mitosis, I think, but I'm not sure. But anyway, it sounds impressive. I may be wrong. Uh, so anyway, whatever it's called, um, it starts. And I'm sitting there watching this film, and it, it shows, it's it just, it, it takes nine months and reduces it to 12 minutes, and it shows the sperm meeting the egg, and then a cell, and then... Another cell, and then another cell, and then more cells, and more cells, and more cells, and more cells than a head. And then more cells, and more cells, and then a leg, and arms, thumbs, toes, body. And I'm watching this, and I haven't been following Jesus very long, and I'm just blown away by this. I'm thinking, God, this is so amazing. And here I sit with, with nine unbelievers in this in this. Uh, community college at Virginia Beach and, and I'm just, I'm being blown away by this and I just got tears running down my face and then the film ends, the lights come on and everybody starts hassling me because, because of my tears, but my tears were just tears of amazement. I mean, if you think about this long enough, all you can do is just erupt in praise how God brought you on the scene. I mean, that's... There's no other way. There's no no other way that could happen to where all you can do is just say, God, this is all about you, isn't it? This is all about you. In the same way that you took time and formed Adam, you formed me. That's an amazing thought that gives us hope in this life, to be sure. And so, as you move on in the Scripture, Scripture traces the details of your life back to conception. This is important that we get this. We need to be able to base this on Scripture. Traces the details of your life back to conception. Go to Psalm 139. We'll look at verses 1 through 6 first, and then I'll skip ahead to verse 13 and forward. O Lord, you have searched me and you know me. This is David talking about how much God knows him, how intimately associated God is with him. You know when I sit and when I rise. You perceive my thoughts from afar. You discern my going out and my lying down. You're familiar with all my ways. Before a word is on my tongue, you know it completely, O Lord. You hem me in behind and before. You have laid your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me, too lofty for me to, ta- to attain. So David, in Psalm 139, is just thinking of who God is and what God has done in his life. Lord, you know me inside and out. Where can I go from you? Where can I go? Go to verse 13 now. For you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful and I know that full well. My frame, that word frame means uh, skeleton. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place, when I was woven together in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed body. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. I'll talk about that in just a second. How precious to me are your thoughts, O God! How vast is the sum of them! Were I to count them, they would outnumber the grains of sand. When I, am, when I awake, I am still with you. Now go back to verse 16 with that, Chris, if you don't care. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. Came to be. Can, you, can you just check Check this out. Before you even came on the scene, God had already ordained your life, David is saying. He knows how long you're going to live. He knows when you're in the womb. He knows when you're born. And he knows when you die. All your days are already ordained before even one of them came to be, Jesus would hit on that just a little bit in uh, in Matthew when he's talking about worrying, and he would say he would ask this question: What can any of you do by worrying to add a single day to your life? Today has enough trouble of its own. Quit worrying about tomorrow. That's hard for us, I know. But Jesus is simply reemphasizing what David is saying over in the Old Testament. All your days are ordained. He knows when you're born. He knows when you're going to die. Which makes me ask me, so why am I doing CrossFit? Uh, But but I'm doing it. Um, Yeah. Uh, You can certainly adopt a wrong mentality here if you take that very far, you know? Uh, because we, I, we have a responsibility, I certainly believe, to take care of what God has entrusted to us, our bodies. We have that, and so we do that. But when the time comes for you to draw your last breath on this earth, God knew it, and he knew it before your first day. Your death never catches God by surprise. might catch everybody else by surprise, but it doesn't catch God off guard, Okay? And then if you go to Jeremiah chapter 1, look at verses 4 through 10. I want you to look at how Jeremiah views this. For you, God, whoops, the word of the Lord came to me saying, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I set you apart. I appointed you as a prophet to the nations. Ah, sovereign Lord, I said, I don't know how to speak. I'm only a child. But the Lord said to me, do not say I'm only a child. You must go to everyone I send you to and say whatever I command you. Don't be afraid of them, for I am with you and will rescue you, declares the Lord. Then the Lord reached out his hand and touched my mouth and said to me, now I have put my words in your mouth. See, today I appoint you over nations and kingdoms to uproot and tear down, to destroy and to overthrow, to build and to plant. The Lord saying to Jeremiah, I not only knew you before you were in the womb, I called you before that, and you have a purpose. You are intentionally created. You are not accidentally created. I want you to follow me here, because when you think about this, here's what you have God doing. And it kind of makes me chuckle, because whenever a baby comes on the scene, generally the mom and the dad are really proud. Look at what we did. This is cool. Now, when they're teenagers, you go, why in the world did we do that? But, but look at what we did. And there's, there's all this pride. But what God does is God looks at that and says, look what I did. God totally overlooks the biological function of a man and a woman coming together in marriage and having a child. He totally overlooks that. And he says, this is my job. This is what I do. Life is sacred because life is given and granted by none other than God himself. Now, based on the teaching of Scripture, and you write this down in your bulletins there, based on this teaching from the Scripture, here's what we can conclude. And we can conclude a lot more, but these three things. Everyone exists because God wanted them to exist. We can conclude that. We can conclude that. I think I said that right. A lot of C's in there. Everyone exists because God wanted them to exist. Second thing, everyone that God made bears his image because everyone is patterned after him. And the third thing, to take a life is to destroy the image of God. To take a life is to destroy the image of God. Of God. Why? Because God engineered the whole thing. In the same way that he formed Adam out of the dust, he forms the baby in the womb. And when man determines that he's going to step in and interfere with that process, then man has overstepped his bounds. So, the next question, I've got three questions, and there could be a, a gazillion questions I could have put down here, but I just put these three. So then, are there any circumstances where abortion is justifiable? Are there any circumstances where it's just, justifiable? And, and what I'm about to say is debatable, I know, I know that. But I, I'm, I'm going to just toss, toss it out as if I'm, I've been asked that question. and this is where the, the right to life stands, most folks who are pro-life, is that if the life of the mother is in danger, then taking the baby is the right alternative. Now that's debatable, because ask a mom that question. Okay, if I'm there getting ready to have my baby. And I've had moms tell me this. That's why I know this is debatable. And it's my life or the child's. I I will give up my life so that my child can live. So I I understand that that's debatable. There are others who say, wait a second. If if this is all of God, then why don't you just go through the process and let God determine? I mean, there's that. Uh, so, so certainly that's debatable. But I would say uh, the, the exclusion to everything that I've taught would be that if, the, if you have to choose between two lives, both are precious in the sight of God. Both are formed by God. But the general stance would be that then only in that case would, would it be okay for the child to be taken. Um. And and we we have in our congregation just a wonderful testimony of of the grace and goodness of God and how sometimes interfering into things based on medical opinion um, isn't the wisest thing to do because when Jane Raisin, Jane and Bill Raisin were pregnant with their second child, uh, they were advised to have an abortion because uh, Jane would be unable to uh, have a healthy pregnancy and on and on that went. It wasn't an immediate situation. They had time to think about it, and they determined, wait, we don't want to do that. We don't know. I mean, we need to trust God with this, and they did. And so uh, today, uh, sitting over to my left uh, is is a sophomore at South Webster High School named Grace, um, who the doctor said, you know, we should, this probably isn't a wise idea to have her. And here she sits. She doesn't just sit here. Grace loves Jesus, and she doesn't just love Jesus. She she lets people know about the love of Jesus, and she doesn't just let people know about the love of Jesus. She does that in ways that a lot of people don't. And I still I still can't um, get past one of the things she did. I don't know two three years ago. I can't remember how long ago it was, Bill. But um, where where Grace went to uh, her dad, who's who's the fire chief, he could he could get. Uh, get his daughter to go into the county jail here, and she wasn 't going in though as an inmate, um, but what she wanted to do is she wanted to go to the to the female inmates there and give them a Bible and just let them know that God loves them. that was a, a christmas gift I believe that 's what it was, and so Bill got it arranged emily I, I mean Grace picked out the bibles and and grace went to the jail with her dad and she went up to each woman and she told them that God loved them and handed them a Bible. And I just thought, you know what, that's pretty cool. I I mean, I think about this at times while we can oftentimes be pretty judgmental about people who are incarcerated. And I get that. I'm I'm not trying to excuse people's uh, crime and, and, and stuff. I'm not trying to do that. But we can get so wrapped up in that side of it that sometimes we lose focus that they need Jesus too. And so here's, a, here's just a young girl who says, that's what I want to do. I want to tell people about Jesus, and that's what she did. And what a wonderful thing. Um, had, they, uh, had Bill and Jane listened at that time to the advice given to them, that would have never happened. God has a purpose for grace and at that point in time, the purpose was to make sure that those people at that time that were incarcerated heard about the love of Jesus. That's pretty cool. But God didn't just have a plan for grace. He has a plan for you. You're not here by accident. He, didn't, he did not make you so that you could live a life where you wake up, go work all day, come home, veg in front of the TV, go to sleep, And then do it all over again. There's more to our lives than just that routine. You better go to work because, guys, you better be providing for your family. You better do that. But you're created for more than that. You're created in every way that your life would bring honor to the king, honor to the one who created you. Now, I'm going to say this. Are there any circumstances where abortion is justifiable? Let me say this. I'm going to be totally inconsistent here. You can argue, you can throw stones. That's okay. I know I'm being inconsistent. But if today I was told that we would have laws, would I support someone and guarantee that we would have laws in a Supreme Court and all of that who would say that abortion is okay? if the life of the mother is in danger and in issues of rape and incest, but in in every other area it is not okay, then I would say, okay, why would I do that? And I know I'm being inconsistent. The reason I would do that is because 97% of abortions, more than 97% of abortions today, are done for convenience. They're not done for any other reason. And so, I would give on that, but in giving on it, I know I'm being inconsistent. Because at least that many would be saved. We've got a holocaust going on, and we turn our heads to it. And that's dangerous. Is there anything we can do to protect the lives of the unborn? Yes, there is. I'm not taking a political stance I am taking a biblical stance. If you walk out of here today and go, well, Rick talked about politics today, then you missed this. Because long before abortion was brought into the political spectrum, it has been in the Bible. Long before the sanctity of life was a debatable issue in the Supreme Court, long before it's been the established point of Scripture. And I stand on the Scripture I'm not being political, I'm being biblical. And I'm simply saying to you, if you want to know if there's anything you can do then in a a country that's gone crazy with this, well, yeah, there is. Then put people in office that support life. It's that simple. It's that simple. Quit voting your party and start voting your values. Vote the things that break God's heart. Vote the things that God stands for. If that's your source of truth and you want to do something to impact your generation, then you, with the ability you have to vote, as long as you have a voice, you stand for those who can't stand for themselves. That's what you do. And so you ask the question of each candidate, Are you, do you believe in the sanctity of human life? Are you for life? Or are you for abortion in any situation? Ask it. And if they're for life, let that be your litmus test. And you vote for that person. And if they're not for life, then you let that be your litmus test. You go, you know, I can't support you. I can't do that. It's not a political issue. It was just made political. And because it was made political, Christians somehow have stepped back. And I'm saying we need to engage and walk towards it. That's how we do that. And third thing, third question, then we'll be done here. What would you say to someone here who has had an abortion? And this is what I would say to you. And I know we've had a number here who have had an abortion. And we've talked about this in the past. And here's my response. There is grace and mercy in Jesus Christ. Amen. The same Jesus who looked at this guy who hasn't had an abortion but who has committed all kinds of sin against him. The same Jesus who looked at me and extended his grace and forgiveness to me is the same Jesus who extends his grace and forgiveness to you. And I have a past and you have a past. And I have things I regret and you have things you regret. But Christ paid for those things. And when he did, he offers to you that opportunity to reach out to him, receive his grace and his forgiveness, and treat your past as if it's in the Past, buried, done away with, because you've been made new in Christ Jesus. And that's what I would say to someone who has had an abortion. He can forgive, he can heal, and he can restore, because he does. How do I know that? Because I'm standing here telling you that I'm one he's forgiven, I'm one he's restored. I'm one who he's using, and he'll use you as well. Let's pray together. Father, I thank you so much for this morning. I thank you for the opportunity that that we have had here to be able to just um, get to know your word a little better when it comes to how you view life. Thank you, God, so much that... For all of us here, from the youngest to the oldest, for all of us here, that you took the time to fashion us. In the same way that you you formed Adam out of the dust, in the same way that you formed Eve out of the rib of Adam, in that same way you formed us in our mother's womb, you were present there knitting us together. And I thank you, Father, that you are intimately acquainted with each one of us. My prayer is that each one of us would be intimately acquainted with you. That we would reach out to you in grace, in in repentance, in in hope that you will give us your grace. Lord, I pray that for, for those here, whatever those issues are in their lives that they're walking through this life with, God, I pray that you will help each of us now just to be able to lay that stuff down at your feet, and you will help us to walk in the newness of life that comes through you. Lord Jesus, I pray that as, as folks here this morning, if they cry out to you, I pray that you will, you will respond quickly to them. Thank you, Jesus, for life. I pray you forgive our country for devaluing life so much. And I pray that you will embolden your people to stand for the things that you stand for, to have broken hearts for the things that break your heart, and to be willing to do what's necessary to proclaim your love, grace, and life. It's in your mighty name I pray. Amen. Amen. Christ community, before you go, I've got to say two other things real quickly to you. Number one's this, today. Today is the uh, Sanctity of Life Sunday all across the country, actually. Um, But today... What we're going to do with the money that you put in the bucket for, the dollar of the, for those less fortunate, we're going to give that to the Saudi County Right to Life, a group that was started out of this church here by Lila Donley, who is now in the presence of Jesus and, and continues on today going around and educating every opportunity they get about issues pertaining to life and standing for the sanctity of life. So anything that you put in the dollar for the homeless bucket or dollar for those, uh, for those less fortunate. we that's what we're going to do with it. And so I, I hope you will, um, I hope you'll be generous with that. And second thing is this next week when you come new year, you know, it's a new year next week. When you come seek somebody out that, you know, is not plugged into a church somewhere and invite them to join you, invite them to join you. And we'll deal with the last question next year. I, I mean, last question next week as we deal, with, finish up this series on Ask God Anything, okay? God bless you guys. Have a great week. We'll see you next weekend. Christ Community Church, located at 25th and Thomas Avenue in Portsmouth, Ohio. Christ Community meets on Saturday at 5 p.m. and Sunday at 10.30 a.m. For more information, visit www.christcommunity.net or check out our Facebook page.